Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hageman, coming to you every Tuesday with our podcast extraordinaire, <laughs> full of topics of random interest to Jenny and I. Mostly to Jenny, because Jenny is our chooser of topics, so I never know what the heck we're about to talk about. It could be cats, it could be, it could have something to do with the French Revolution or Sanskrit or something. I have no idea, so... um could be a weird cult conspiracy. Those are always fun. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask Jenny here. So Jenny, give me some clues as to what our our, our topic is today, and uh, we'll see if it's a subject I at least know anything about and can contribute to. Whether I go, mm-hmm, cool, or or what the case may be. So I think you're gonna know this story really well. Well, really well is questionable, but <laughs> you're gonna know of this story. All right. Um, I wanted a lighthearted myth with roots and truth. Okay. Those are always fun. Right. Yeah. So I thought, let's look back. All right. Looking back. Um, that sounds like Lot escaping from Sodom and Gomorrah. Or too far back. Orpheus and Eurydice. Uh, um, <laughs> let's let's go to um, uh, the twelfth century. The twelfth century. All right. Looking back in the twelfth century, and it it involves a woman doing something kind of crazy for this time period. Is this? How about Lady Godiva? That sounds like a fun Nailed it. Well right. nailed it, as per always. The results of this one myth actually has two mythological characters that we still talk about today. <laughs> so I think that's pretty cool. Yep. It is the origin for the phrase Peeping Tom. There you go. And Lady Godiva, who of course is fantastic and amazing and... God, if only this myth were true, right? <laughs> so here's what the story is. This is how we'll start is I'm going to tell you the actual like story story of it. Okay. So we have Lady Godiva and her husband, Leo Frick. They're wealthy. They're powerful and charming people. She herself was already a philanthropist and spent a lot of her time helping local churches. And he is the Earl of America. Didn't even realize that there was an area <laughs> called America, which I'm sure America comes from. <laughs> this is <laughs> and very this close is to Murica, but not Murica. Yeah, it, it is spelled Murica, but I wasn't going to say yeah. it like that. All right, yeah, I had your back on that one. So he tended to the stately matters of the fiefdom that they were part of. Right mm-hmm. after a year of marriage, their rich lives kind of start to take a negative turn. Because the curious people of Coventry could hear that they were fighting all night long and the fighting would echo across the cobbled lanes. Once again, this is the fairy tale. This is straight from a storybook. This is not a true story. (laughs) Jenny did not write this. I'm not this good with imagery. 
the people would say they could see black bags under her eyes and could, could tell she avoided her home whenever possible. But the people never knew that the reason for the misery of this couple was the townspeople themselves. So the Lady Godiva story starts with an argument after one of the lady's trips to the market. So she's walking through the stall. She smiles at everyone. And, you know, she's looking from seller to the stall. She's looking at things. If she sees an apple drop, she's the kind of person that would pick it up Mm -hmm. and, like, put it back where it belongs and apologize to somebody, right? Like, she's a nice, wealthy human. So in this instance, an apple drops. She leans over and picks it up. And in the process... The farmer doesn't see her that's in charge of this stall. And he's looking around and he says, Leofric must love the poor because he's creating so many of them. (laughs) And around people were kind of laughing. And Mm -hmm. she was like, oh, this makes me uncomfortable. So she walks up to this group of men that are having this conversation. And she's like, what do you mean? Leofric works all day and all night for the betterment of Coventry and all of the people. And the farmer that said this comment turns to her and he's like, you mean for the betterment of England and its sole person, the king? And once again, she's sitting there like, excuse me? (laughs) And the guys start laughing again. And she's like, I think you are referring to the taxes and the king. But do you know every kingdom must have its taxes? How else would civilization function? This is not some damn propaganda, right? (laughs) And the farmer blushes because he's like, oh, shit, we're talking to Lady Godiva. And so he's like, I'm so sorry. I apologize for being rude. And she's like, you don't need to apologize. I want to know the honest truth. I want to know your real opinion of my husband and what he's doing. And the farmer's like, well, the taxes, I hate to say it, but like, we can't afford them. Some of them are really unfair. (laughs) For example, there's a tax called the Herald Tax. And it pays for the king's personal bodyguard. How does that help us as citizens? How is this changing the kingdom? And why is manure taxed? Our horses can't stop themselves from doing what's natural, but yet we're taxed (laughs) for them relieving themselves. And of course, the other farmers are like, yeah, man, tell her more. And he's like, and look at us. We have taxes on our windows, on our food. I have a family of five. And he may as well be taxing each sock on each of their feet. Not that we can afford the socks even if we wanted them, right? (laughs) So she gets really upset and she's like, whoa, you're completely right. This is indefensible and it's an unjust misuse of tax. This must stop and this will stop. And so she storms off and the farmers are like, well, that was weird, right? (laughs) So a year has passed and she's like trying to stay true to her word. So every single night she approaches her husband and she's like, this is ridiculous. We need to do away with some of these taxes. And she's always trying to come up with a new innovative plan to cut the taxes. And she even drafts letters to the king, but her husband's stubborn. And he's like, no, this is for the king. We have to do this. And then one night the windows are all open because it's stupid hot and they're fighting like cats and dogs. And he's, done fighting puts his head in his hands and it's just like what am i gonna do and she starts pacing around and he's like i can't just cancel it what would the king think of me if i got rid of taxes and she's like why do you care what is one man's opinion and riches compared to the opinions and riches of thousands and he's like well this is the king this is more than a person right and if that's what you think then you should prove to me that you care about this more than the opinion of others so how about this here's the plan this is man logic is beyond me (laughs) 
He says, I will cancel this tax if you ride through town naked. And she's like, okay, is that what it's going to take? I'll do it. I'm game. I love this. Love this lady for this. She says, if that's what it takes, tomorrow afternoon when the sun is at its highest, I will ride through the town naked. Her husband looks up at her like, excuse me? What's, what? Huh? Wait, what? And he's like, okay, you know what? Fine. You do this. I swear on my life, I'll cancel at least the Herald tax if you do this. And she was like, okay. And I know how I can do this. So as soon as the sun comes up, she goes to the town and she knocks on every door and she's like, you listen to me right here and right now. You are going to shut every window and not look at me while I ride through town. And this is why. And the townspeople were like, I'm sorry, you're willing to ride your ass naked through town to cut our taxes in. We're in. We're going to do this. So everybody closes down the market. Everybody pulls their dogs in off the street. There's no kiddos. And she rides through town. This is a totally quiet town. I cannot imagine how creepy this would be, by the way. <laughs> Midday. Nobody's outside. And she rides through, head held high. Every window's blocked. Every door is locked. Townspeople stay true to their word. Now, after she finishes her ride, only two people saw her. And both of them suffered the consequences of seeing her. Her husband watched this and then immediately writes to the king and is like, I have to change the taxes because I made a deal with my wife. And turns out she is good to her word. So going to have to cut that. The other, a cheeky boy named Tom, peeks through a keyhole, sees her naked, and he's punished by losing his eyesight. How he loses his eyesight, we'll go into later, but like, <laughs> there's lots of theories, yeah. right? So, this is an interesting story, obviously. So, the story is, is that Lady Godiva is protesting against the heavy taxation, it could also have something to do with bringing peace to the violent nature of noblemen in America. Um, because, you know, her husband's unpopular because of all the heavy taxation. And his taxations were so contested that two of his tax collectors were actually killed in the process of collecting these taxes. So he's unhappy with the unrest in the city. And the king himself is like, you need to plunder and burn the city after the taxmen were killed. And he's like, what? So... In this propaganda story, it's obviously mm -hmm. a propaganda of some sort, she is this figure that calms the tensions between everyone. Um, uncertain when this really would have taken place, uh, but what is known is that certain taxes were heavy and killings were real for taxation. So, is this true? Is this story real? <laughs> it's what we always like to look for, right? Yeah. Someday we're actually going to find one too, but you know, <laughs> someday, someday, somehow, some, some fun story from the past will actually be true. I know, but like every day we learn new things in archaeology. So like mm -hmm. you may think, you know, the story, like I think most people would have agreed 10 years ago that Amelia Earhart was eaten by crabs on Easter Island. <laughs> and then now they're saying they found her airplane in the Pacific. So like, yep. Do we know? Could it change? Always. Okay. Anyhow, here's what we do know. 
The name Godiva comes from the word Gedifu or Gedifu, which means the gift of God, which is important because she and her husband are part of important religious houses and contribute tons of money to different abbeys and monasteries in and around the city. They're deeply religious. Um, and this story is odd for a deeply religious Christian household mm-hmm. because they're not known for expressions of nudity necessarily in early Christianity. Um, probably quite the opposite, much more modest. So it would be weird to have a naked lady riding a horse through town. Yeah. Also, though, it makes sense that this would be one hell of a bargain for her to like, like this would be a real bet. He was really betting she wouldn't do this. So it would have to be really important, which makes me think it's more likely than we think. I don't trust the townspeople that much that everybody locked their door. Sorry. (laughs) We do know that there was a Godiva recorded in the 12th century um, in the L.A. Abbey. Um, It's a history. And if it is the same figure in the legend, she would have been a widow when she got married to Leah Frick. And both of them, like I said, were very generous benefactors. In 1043, Leah Frick founded and endowed a Benedictine monastery in Coventry on the site of a nunnery destroyed by the Danes in 1016. Um. And it's written in the 13th century that she's the persuasive force behind him being this benefactor. In 1050s, her name's coupled with that on her husband on a grant of land to the monastery of St. Mary in Worcester and the endowment of the minister at Stowe St. Mary in Lincolnshire. She and her husband are commemorated as benefactors at other, um, like 10 other (laughs) easily Mm -hmm. monasteries. And she gives Coventry a lot of precious metal by famous goldsmiths and bequeaths a necklace of silver. So she's very generous, very willing to give a lot of money. Um, And the memory of them goes on and on and on well into 1122. They're commemorated in the mortuary role at St. Vitalis of Savigny. So after Leah Frick died in 1057, she lived on until the Norman conquest of 1066, 1086 age-ish. Mm-hmm. She's mentioned in the Domesday Survey as one of the few Anglo-Saxons and the only woman to remain a major land holder shortly after the conquest. Um, so by the end of that, the time of the survey, which was in 1086, she had died and her lands are listed by others. So the, there is a Godiva. There is a Leah Frick. They did exist. They were beneficiaries. No, benefactors. They were benefactors. That is all true. Okay. The story of Peeping Tom, probably not as much the truth. Yeah, um, sounds like a definite allegory, but yeah, yeah. It is, and especially because he showed up in the 17th century in the recountings of this story. So you yeah. start to hear about Godiva in the 12th and 13th century. It's not until the 17th that he shows up. And like I said, he has kind of an interesting tradition, if you will, because there's already a really well-established tradition of a tailor who had spied on Lady Godiva um, at the Godiva festivals. This was something that always made an appearance. Um, and they would 
use like an effigy of peeping tom in further celebrations it's set on display it's carved from wood and it's supposed to be around the same era of charles ii when that shows up which is 1685 ish doesn't okay. matter what matters is is this story is interesting because he takes a single look and he says that she was not completely naked that she wore silk in one account mm-hmm. um in some accounts he is struck blind by God. Um, in some, the townsfolk make him blind. In some, she's like a Gorgon, I guess, and like mm. takes away his I don't know. Like, there's just a lot of different iterations of how he becomes blind as, you know, penitent. So, he's probably not real. Maybe. Um, it's interesting though, the thing about her not being completely naked, because that is something that is more likely, especially for women of this era with this level of Christianity, she wouldn't have likely been completely naked. She probably would have been in her undergarments, which would have been naked at her time. Yeah. So that's more possible. Um, and that she probably took off her jewelry, which was the hallmark of the upper class. So she would have had to have been very unadorned in her underwear that is naked to them during this Mm -hmm. time period. So naked is kind of subjective, kind of like it's rituals subjective, you know, like, yeah, not everything. That makes sense. And it's thought that the nudity itself originated once the, the Puritans came through. So (laughs) you know how the Puritans are. Um, and that was so that they could tarnish the reputation of Lady Godiva, who's extremely pious, right? Like, she's yeah. extremely religious. This is so incongruous with her character. So let's tarnish her reputation a little bit. So, unknown. Um, outside of the fact that we get Peeping Tom and we get this amazing story about Lady Godiva, there is also a Godiva procession that follows afterward in coventry so it's like a party that they throw every year annually Hmm. um i say annually every year they started it in 1678 during an already established um fair the great fair and then they reenact the ride of lady godiva as part of this fair i think it's interesting that 1670s is when we decide to get naked and ride a horse again (laughs) why not Apparently, the ride of Godiva is now sporadic, um, and it's more decided, like, if somebody wants to do it. Uh, And if people actually ride through the streets naked now, it's questionable. That also, like, changes over time. So you've got different times in which it's been more popular and people will do it. So, like, in the 70s and the early 2000s, when we were going through the sexual liberation, Mm -hmm. people got on horses and rode naked through the streets during the celebration. Why not? Yeah. It's the time when streaking suddenly became big and everything too. So, you know. Exactly. So if you wanted to see Lady Godiva today, there is a statue in Coventry. Um, and then there is the clock tower in Coventry. The clock tower is Lady Godiva on her horse and peeping Tom. It's carved out of wood and it's one of the like Glockenspiels where it prays every hour. Okay. Super cool, right? Tourists love this. Coventry inhabitants fucking hated this thing. (laughs) 
they fucking went ballistic on it in 1987. So when um, they won a, some sort of football soccer league cup, mm-hmm. the local team did, they decided that the way to celebrate as a lot of hooligans at sporting events do was to climb the tower where this clock was and just fucking destroy it. <laughs> nice. I think alcohol was involved, but I'm not positive on that. that. That sounds like a strong possibility. Yeah. So let's go down a rabbit hole. Because I don't really know who was king at the time, I thought it was important to guess. So I looked through a list of kings of England during this period yeah. of time. Came up with potentially the king that has taxed everyone is Edward the Confessor. Okay. So Edward the Confessor is, it's interesting because the time matches, but the actions don't necessarily. So let's talk a little bit about him. So he's born around 1004. He is the son of King Alfred and Queen Emma. He should have inherited the throne, but this was when Knut, Knut, Knut. Yeah, King, I think it's just Newt, like King Newt. Okay. King or Newt. Knut, I guess is yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not certain. I'm gonna say Knut because why not? Of Denmark <laughs> conquers England and drives him out. So he's exiled to Normandy, which is where his mom's from. And he's like, I'm gonna get my royal status back. So he starts calling himself King Edwards, even though somebody else is on the throne. He's like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. get there. So he maintains he's the rightful king, as one should. Um, so he challenges Knut by attempting to invade England with the help of his cousin, the Duke Robert of Normandy. Unfortunately, they're blown off course on their sailing invasion and get diverted to Brittany. Undeterred, he's like, let's try this again. So the first time was 1034. Two years later, they get their shit together again and they invade in 1036 after Knut's dead. Okay. So like... I don't know how hard it is to lay claim on a throne where there's no king, except for, I guess, his son probably would be king. That's where we're going with that anyway. So then he has 40 ships. He lands and fights a battle near Southampton. He is triumphant, but the political situation is not in his favor. So he returns to Normandy. And then again, in 1041, once again, gets all of his money and his group together. He arrives on the South Coast with another fleet. He's now received as the rightful heir. He ascends the throne because Knut's son, Carthena Knut, <laughs> Knut, has also passed. Yeah. It's these names. This is legitimately every name in this part of the story is the reason why I picked him as the king because they're all amazing. <laughs> so he immediately sets about defending the coast from Viking attacks, which had been plaguing England during his father's reign. And he establishes a new system for raising fleets, which you need money for. So he ended up, he ended England's reliance on the crews of Danish mercenaries. Instead, the provisioning of ships was entrusted to ports on the South coast and they were granted privileges in return. So they were first charged with defending the coast by Edward, the confessor. The towns were sandwich. Yep. Love it. (laughs) Dover, Romney, Hastings, Hythe, and they evolved into the original Cinque ports. Why we used a Spanish name, though? I do not know. Wait, Cinque's French, isn't it? 
it's I don't know. Eight. I don't. I don't know that word. So yeah, it means five. It's the five ports. Oh yes, yes. Sink. Okay, yeah. That's that's French. Sink. That's French. Sink. Yeah. Okay. It looks the same to me in Spanish, which is oh, yeah, they're, they're all, my bad. They're all, they're all related. Cinco. <laughs> Spanish is cinco. French is chinque. I will figure out language one of these days. So before the reign of Edward the Confessor, we have evidence of fortified residences, but he is the one that developed castles as a tool of border warfare in France. So they're seeking to curb the Welsh, and he implanted French military commanders in the borders around Hereford, and they erect these castles. They're really new, they're really aggressive, and they become a pretty big source of friction between the English and the English or the French and the English at court, especially when it comes to the locals. They do not like this. But once again, to build stuff, you need to tax people so you have money to do that. Okay. War costs money. So I'm still building the claim that he could be this taxation king. Mm-hmm. Much like every king, especially the Plantagenets, he wanted a son to continue his bloodline, right? But he and his wife, Queen Edith, are unable to have children. So her father and brothers are driven into exile because they oppose him. And he looks at her and he's like, you're a plant. I'm going to send you to a nunnery. Because he wanted to get rid of her and get a divorce, get remarried, have an heir. But somehow she warmed her way back into his heart and... She forgives her husband for sending her to a nunnery and trying to do away with their marriage and even commissions his biography, praises him as a saint and asks to be buried next to him at Westminster. Hmm. So she had a good heart, I guess. Then he acquires pretty big enemies from the Welsh king. Um, we're going to butcher some Welsh right now. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> it's terrifying to try to read. It's so I remember in Scotland, and I'm sure that Welsh is similar. You just pronounce it exactly how it's written. Gruffid ap Llewellyn and the Scottish king Macbeth. They were not happy with him. Macbeth, of course, is a pretty big ruler. He has held his throne since Knut was in charge. So he's not letting go. And Grufid was the first king to rule the whole of Wales. So eventually they send armies led by earls to crush the Scottish and Welsh rulers. Macbeth is defeated in 1054 and Grufid a death decade later. This is a little bit uh, grosser because this is like the head on a silver platter. Yeah. Literally, they bring him his head. Don't know why we need to do this. It's kind of weird. Uh, by 1066, the kings of the Scots and Welsh acknowledged Edward as the overlord of Britain did not, however, recognize any of his successors, Harold or William in any way. They were like, mm, fuck this shit. <laughs> you got one buddy. That, yeah. That's it. What's interesting though, is his reign is remembered as a period of peace and prosperity. Um, most of those who lived through the bloodshed and turmoil of the conquest look back fondly uh, at the time that he was in charge. Yeah. There's raids from the Welsh and the Scots, occasionally a band of Vikings will come through, but the overall kingdom itself, not really in that much danger. And a lot of peaceful alliances were established at the start of that reign that ensured um, respect from the neighboring powers. People had more money in their pockets, supposedly. And evidence is that um, 
the archaeological evidence actually supports that there was more money in people's pockets because they have found so many coins from hmm. the period of time in which okay. he reigned. And not like individual coins, but like coin caches, which okay. is fascinating. Hmm. Apparently, there have been more found from his particular reign than from other comparable periods from his predecessors. So I like to coin, huh? Yeah. Well, at least people were getting money distributed somewhere. We're getting, people were getting money and minting it, I guess. <laughs> so what's really interesting is he he was a fascinating guy. He kind of had a mystique that his subjects liked about him. Um, you know, we have these peace treaties, the threat of crushing force. These are his foundations of success. But he also uses like the mystique of his ancient bloodline and the powers that are bestowed from that. Hmm. So he presents himself in this quasi-divine manner. He's always dripping with gold and jewels, looking like a saint. And he's the first English king to perform miracles. His specialty was curing scrofulia, which is a swelling of the lymph nodes by the touching of his hands, which you, you can do. There's lymphatic massage that helps with this, right? <laughs> So he would do this and totally made people believe that he was curing them from things. And even there were reports he'd restored the sight to somebody who was blind. So he made his own myth and he gave himself his reputation as a saint. Absolutely fascinating in that manner, because even though Anglo-Saxons venerated a lot of their kings and queens and princesses, he is the only canonized monarch. Okay. And he had even the stricter standards, which precludes a lot of things. So, like, he had the strictest of strict standards, but he's canonized by the Pope in 1161, and he became the personification of divine mystique of kingship. So, like, he is considered a pretty hot deal, man. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he liked to tax people. So there we go. He liked to tax people. He's a hot deal. He's still in Westminster Abbey, surrounded by all the other monarchs who kind of want to be as cool as he is. <laughs> so that's the uh, story tonight nice. of Lady that's Godiva. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did. For some reason, I did not know that Lady Godiva was a giant, you know, tax propaganda myth. <laughs> like, I. I just knew the basics of, you know, Lady Godiva rides naked through town, peeping Tom looks at her, goes blind. That's that's the like extent of the story I knew. So yeah, that's I uh, did not know the taxes were involved. So that is that is interesting. You get to go share this new information with your wife who does Yeah, I know. Tax My wife, law. the tax accountant, will find it very interesting. So tax, tax accountant, there we go. Yeah, she's gonna yeah. love this. She's gonna be like, What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, patron saint, Will. You're going to have Lady Godiva's all over your house now. There you go. Nice. Maybe we'll just buy Godiva chocolate instead. I think I'll think go with that. Perfect. <laughs> well, very cool. Nice story. You know, it, it was one of those things that, yeah, I, I think everybody like kind of knows the name and knows kind of maybe the pure basics of it. But yeah, I did not know really any of that background. So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's a fun story and it's a, a goofy story. Like it's yeah. just goofy enough to yeah. be interesting. Yep. <laughs> Yep. That's cool. Well, yeah, well, thanks for it. Thanks everybody for listening this week. You know, as always, uh, rate, subscribe, review, tell your friends about our podcast and we'll see you all in a week.
Bye, Bye. folks.